brother. Long time. Congratulations, bro. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And for those listening, thinking, what are they congratulating Abby about? Yes, yes, it happened. I bought myself a PlayStation 5. <laughs> uh, your house. I'm there. Let's go. <laughs> no, um, the reason why Afalabi is saying congratulations and the reason why you haven't had an episode for a couple of weeks is because I have been on honeymoon, which means, yes, uh, amidst all of the madness with COVID-19 and all of the confusion around self-isolation, lockdown, etc., I was able to marry the love of my life and have her move in with me with her truckloads, literally truckloads of clothing and yes, start a family, which is fantastic and something I'm really happy about. It's funny because I remember when I was, I think it was a, not the last time I was at your house, but the time before that, all of my comments and feedback was around, yeah, you need more space. Like, this is a big house, but yeah, you need to expand the shed. You need to get a, a dishwasher. You need to just prepare for the woman which is about to enter into your life. Because I remember what it was like living quite a minimal life, being a fraction of what could have been within my house. And then she arrived. And I, I just couldn't fathom how someone could own so much. My shed is full of what? I can't tell you. You said that like the Americans during the revolution on the front lines, the British are coming. Like, <laughs> she arrived. <laughs> and every, all my plans fell apart. <laughs> it was hilarious because I had people in church saying, so how's your house right now? Like, like they knew what was about to happen. Like they, they just knew that, yeah, once she arrives, um, everything's going to change. But it's, it's a beautiful thing. And once again, congratulations. Apologies to everyone for us not being here. But this is an extremely important milestone. Um, not one that I take for granted, even though I'm not the one getting married. But because I believe like marriage is for life. And I have seen in a very short period of time that it can be unbelievably challenging but also unbelievably rewarding at the same time. Agreed. So I'm, I'm I'm proud of you, bro. And and welcome to the club. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Do I get a, a card or a chain or something as a as as an initiation? No, 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 no. You pay. Oh yeah, of course. You don't, you don't receive anything. You you pay. Of course. And you make it out that you both paid. <laughs> it has it has been one of those weeks where like my account has just slowly been depleting and I'm not exactly sure why. It's like, why? Where's, why, what? It's the beginning of the month. Where's my money going? It's a beautiful thing. Yes, like My wife mentioned something to me yesterday. That we, we were debating over whether we should get something. Mm. I was like, no, we just don't need that at all. And I ended it thinking that I'd won, saying, actually, you know what? If you want this, you go get it. She's like, okay, cool. I'll buy it. And you're going to give me the money. <laughs> And and what was at that point quite a, like a, a heated, polite debate, we just burst out laughing because we both know it was true. Yeah. Like, she's going to get her way anyway. And her way means I contribute to that, both in thought, time and finances. <laughs> so it's a joint decision that she made. For you. For me. It's for me. Um, 
Yeah, one of these days we're going to have a discussion about that. Maybe we should get our ladies on to the podcast so that they can share their side of the story. What is it like living with maniacs, quote you know, potential sociopaths that we are? Uh, how yeah. do they survive? Because I'm sure it's not easy. I'm sure they. I'm sure they've got a little WhatsApp group between themselves, just trying to. Uh, there is one. Figure us out. There is one. <laughs> but on on this note of milestones, and yes, for those who do not know who we are, and those who are welcoming us back again, thank you for being here. Welcome to Expensive Lessons, the podcast where company directors share the fruits of their labors and all the lessons that they have learned in life, not to make themselves feel better, but to know that success in the future is an equation which includes reflection upon the past and those errors, those failures. You have had an amazing change in your life, but you are someone who I know is highly valued by a lot of people. Um, You're someone who I know who is lent on, who is sought for for advice, who is seen as a best man, as a confidant, as as, as a leader. But many people might not necessarily know where it all began and what you would view as the key milestones and lesson points to get you to where you are. So I really wanted to invest some time just unpicking the brain that is Abby. Um, throwing it out there, I still think that you, um, using PlayStation analogies, haven't reached your ultimate form yet. <laughs> I, I, I truly believe that there is there are still levels Thank you, for you to evolve to. And part of that will be to do with your intentionality, but also the environments that you're in. Because, quoting someone who was at the wedding, there is nothing that Abby can't do. So, that is a rather brief introduction to me opening up and saying, bro, if you were to actually reflect upon the last 30 years, thinking about where you are at right now, a married man who has bought homes, who has helped to build businesses, who is highly successful within his own career, who is very clearly going to go on to do greater things. That wasn't the case when you were in Brixton. Definitely not. Back in the day when our trainers were too tight, when our clothes were too tight, um, where we had no money and our cards were being rejected for one pound pizzas. (laughs) That... (laughs) Did you always visualize this? No, not at all. I didn't think I was going to be alive. Um, honestly, uh, I'm 30 years old, and every time I say that out loud, I still get quite weirded out because I didn't plan for 30 when I was that young. When I was in my early teens, 30 just didn't seem feasible. And one of the reasons for that, and this is no joke, but I grew up and six of the guys that I grew up with on my street were murdered. They were killed. And that it seems quite dramatic. Uh, most people listening to this are probably going to be like, really? Yes. No, I, I grew up in Angeltown, Brixton, and six people on my street were were murdered. And 
when you grow up in an environment like that, you are just hoping for survival, but believing that it is only the lucky few that kind of get through the rat race or get through the, the circus and end up on the other side. Sorry, I'm, I'm just still just just absorbing that. Um, when, when people talk about like the Damanola Taylor generation, um, they can almost like romanticize it and it almost becomes like this legend, almost like Lord of the Rings. But it was very real. Um, the things which happened then should never have occurred. And it was horrifying as to how young some of the victims and the perpetrators were. So this is the kind of context that we're talking about. Okay, going back to school days. So um, one of my passions is the fact that I, I work in education. I love seeing young people develop. And there are young people I see who I know, listen, you've got potential. And over years, I've learned that potential is purely the possibility of something happening and not the guarantee of that happening. Mm. What would you say were the possibilities when you were in school, good and bad? for you well I think one of the key possibilities is I was going to end up like everybody else and what I mean by that is I think the typical expectation for somebody who went to my school was that they would go to university because Tony Blair said so but then do nothing with it um, so I grew up in the Tony Blair era of EMA money. Most of you probably don't know what I'm talking about. Some of you do. Um, good times. Educational maintenance good, good allowance times. money, where Tony Blair set out, set aside cash for people going to school. And there was this big push to get people into education. And it worked. So many people from my generation went to university. But unfortunately, many of them were pushed into, into academic courses that had no real utility and therefore the money was wasted but also their 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 hearts were disheartened effectively because now I've got a a degree and I can't do anything with it um so the school that I went to was a grammar school which meant you had to do an aptitude test to get in and it's interesting because I know that there's a, a lot of controversy around grammar schools now as to whether they should stick around, whether they're elitist or not. I'd say that that grammar school somewhat saved my life, even though it was in a difficult area. You mentioned mm-hmm. Dami Lola Taylor earlier. One of my closest friends was best friends with Dami Lola Taylor. So that's the type of environment I grew up in, where death at an early age wasn't really particularly uncommon. It wasn't something no. to be... Um, kind of shocked at surprised or by. surprised by. And one of the other things which is equally as sad is that children as young as 11 or 12 were also having children. So I went to an all-boys school, but the all-girls school, which was just down the road, which I have many connections in, was full of teenage mums, full of yeah. young women as, as young as 11 or 12 who were pregnant. And once again, this wasn't something to be surprised or shocked at. It was just common. And, you know, one minute you'd see a girl in school, the next minute you'd say, where is she? Oh, she went to have a kid. Um, Sometimes they'd come back to school. 
Most of the time they didn't. With that particular school, we had a name for them. And <clears throat> looking back, I, I see now that so many of us grew up so quickly, largely because we were forced to with the environment that we were in. Um, childhood ended very, very early. And you were immersed in street life and everything that, that came with it. Yeah, and I, just to kind of share the flip side of the coin, I mentioned a grammar school. I went to a grammar school and it was Archbishop Tennyson's. And I'd say for many reasons, this experience saved my life. It introduced me to, I think, a, a few things that had a massive impact. First of all, everybody remembers their favourite teacher. And for me, it was Mr. Reavy. He was this tall, lanky Scottish man who was one of the only people who could keep my class under control. And he was a maths teacher. And thanks to him, I fell in love mm. with maths. And some people might remember the maths challenge that people had to do from time to time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, for me, it was really transformational because it, re it helped me understand that, yeah, I've actually got a skill set. Mathematics works for me. I won many maths awards while I was in that school. And a lot of it was just because this teacher would take no nonsense from his kids and really really pour into them and he definitely had a massive impact on my life the other thing was music um we had a very aggressive australian music teacher who let us use her studio a music studio after hours so i don't know whether i want to say this online because Online now, you have so many people who are able to dig up your past. I'm going to say it anyway. But as a young 14-year-old, um, as most 14-year-olds did, we got into that studio and we wrote bars. Yeah. We wrote bars. And um, we, you know, we produced our own beats, all of that. And once again, it was an outlet. I mean, it's starting to sound a bit like a cliche because when you see a lot of these youth clubs these days, that's one of the elements that they kind of encourage. Like, oh, yeah, why, why don't we get them to rap? And I'm like, no, we need to do more than just get young black kids to rap. But, you know, some, <laughs> you know I can't really knock the fact that it, it was another outlet for me. So the fact that on some occasions... I would be in the school's music sto studio from 5 p.m. till 8 p.m. at night, or maybe even 9, making beats, um, making raps, was another reason why I wasn't in Brixton, standing on the street mm. corner waiting for old ladies to walk past. Um, and Sorry, you were going to say? Yeah, I was just going to say, li listening to you, I hear challenge and creativity. Absolutely. Challenge one in terms of the math challenge. So like the junior math challenge, the senior math challenge, they're not compulsory. No. But you were immersed in a challenge which was far greater than what you were expected to do. Um, so I want to go into that a little bit more. And secondly, the creativity. You were given the landscape to be creative, to craft something which didn't have to follow specific rules. Hmm. Um, reflecting upon both of those, what kind of impact do you think that had upon you? I think the, the maths challenge was a great way of reminding me on a regular basis that I wasn't dumb. And that was contrary to some of the subliminal messages I was receiving from my environment, which was, mm -hmm. you are simple. And you are destined for very um, basic, fundamental style, manual style jobs. 
Um, so doing something in a maths challenge where I was actually being compared to um, students across the country. So maths challenge yeah. wasn't just about who's really good at maths in your school, it's who's really good at maths in the country. Um, was a great way of actually reminding me that, oh, I've actually got something special here. Um, and it, it was something which, yes, as you mentioned, it wasn't compulsory. So, you know, opting into that, doing additional study for it was definitely a good way of me actually exercising that kind of personal curiosity, which I, I honestly think is one of the most important qualities that any human can have. Curiosity. Definitely. And curiosity driven by yourself. So you don't necessarily have to have you know, uh, curiosity, which is academic. Maybe you've got curiosity in art or curiosity in poetry or curiosity in interior design, whatever it is. But just exercising your own personal curiosity, doing your own personal study is so valuable, I think, for um, uh, just personal, personal, development. personal development, personal success. And similarly, creating music. Now... This was back when music had rules. Because nowadays you can look and say, well, anybody can be a musician. But I'd say when you're trying to produce music within a certain format, we produce rap music, grime music, etc. You actually needed to have a high level of ability. Um, the, the beats that we would create were very complex and they were musically sound. Um, and any producer, even the producers of today, will tell you that. Beat creation requires a sound understanding of music. You can't just get in front of a piano and get in front of a computer and make a good beat. You need to understand music, melody, um, bass lines, etc. So in order to be creative, but within boundaries, understand limitations, understand that you want to be able to do things, but they have to be within the rules. I think is one of the most important lessons that I've learned, which is when I'm trying to be creative, I understand that there are physical limits to what your creativity can, can, can achieve. And I think the reason why that's so important is because when you get into the world, you're going to be faced with challenges, you're going to be faced with constraints. Now, a lot of people get disheartened because what they want to achieve isn't physically possible because they don't understand the steps that need to be taken in order to achieve that. But when you have a sound understanding of your constraints and your limitations and you learn to be creative within those constraints, it's a lot more empowering because you're not constantly being disheartened with ideas that just fail, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense because as I listen to you, I listen as a parent and I realize actually many of the top tips, guru tips, strategies for effective parenting are also strategies for just developing yourself as a person. Mm. Um, one, curiosity. Two, developing resilience within constraints, developing creativity within constraints, but also throwing people into the deep end where they are no longer being assessed by their immediate environment, but on a more national or global stage. You, you're, you're absolutely right. And I mean, one, one final point around that is that some people will say, well, what about thinking outside of the box? You know, what about letting those constraints go, et cetera, et cetera? Now, 
the thing I would say to that is, I promise you that anybody who is effective at thinking outside of the box understands the box. Mm. You can't, you can't just think outside of the box without understanding where the constraints are, because otherwise you've got no point of reference. So yes, I believe in disruptive creativity. I believe in innovation, but the best innovators understand the limits that they're trying to yes. overcome. It's that beautiful <clears throat> understanding of what mastery is through curiosity, as you mentioned. Mm. Mastery is paradoxical in that in the state of mastery, you have come to an understanding that there is so much that you do not know whilst yes. being an expert within your field. And only curiosity can push you to that point and sustain that mastery. So, so thinking about you, okay, you... I've grown, grown up in this environment, which is not the ideal environment for anyone to grow up in, but it's one which many of our listeners will be akin to or understand. There was clear intentionality in terms of people pouring into you and helping you to see beyond your current landscape, mm. whether that be with explicit math challenges, comparing you to pupils nationally, or just giving you the vehicles, the tools to express yourself. Secondary education is on the overall a success talk to me about sixth form college so when you went to college what would you say of the major lessons you learned compared to your secondary experience well i'm gonna interweave college with something that was also very transformational in my life so towards the end of secondary school and into college i was one of the other really important things that i did outside of school was army cadets cadets mm. and Army cadets was something that I wasn't initially interested in. It was actually something that my mum forced me to go to because my cousin went. And my cousin, not too long after I joined, disappeared. So I was just in this environment of loads of people who were very different from me, potentially, um, who followed a very extremely rigid set of rules, but in some ways were extremely successful. Now, one of the things that stand, stood out to me in Army Cadets was the fact that it was one of the most diverse spaces I've, I'd been in as a young person. My school was entirely black. And it was entirely male. My Army Cadet experience was the first experience that I had in South London with a very wide mix of people. There are Asians, white people, um, obviously black people, you know, a very good mix. Um, and surprisingly, when it comes to army cadets, in my area, there were more women, more young girls involved than young men. And I found it incredibly eye-opening because army cadets were strict, but it was incredibly fun. You could do things that you would never think of being able to do um, in South London, except for shooting guns. Whether you're on the street in South London or over in Army Cadets, that's a universal experience. Everyone gets to do that. But in Army Cadets, you could do it for, You could do it legally and you could actually become a marksman. Anybody who knows me and anyone who's seen me shoot, um, whether it's in games or whether it's whether, when we go to Las Vegas, knows that I'm a very good marksman. Um, yep. And that's because I got taught how to shoot by professionals. Um, I'm not trying to intimidate anyone now. Um, 
but you know, I've ro- I've I've flown in helicopters, gliders, um, army airplanes. I've done assault courses. I've done um, paintballing in in spaces that resemble abandoned cities. Um, I became a very senior army cadet instructor, which meant that as a 16-year-old, I had the responsibility of about 300 junior um, cadets. And the reason why I found that valuable is it really, at a young age, honed my leadership skills. Um, I was forced at such a young age to consider how my actions and how my uh, instruction impacted hundreds of other people. And I was intimidated because there were all these adults around and they just let you do it. They said, you're in charge, go ahead and do it. And I think that's one of the most important lessons I ever learned, which was being trusted to just go off and do things. You know, I, I could plan weekends. I could say, okay, well, I want us to go to this, uh, to this army barracks for the weekend. And I want us to do a training course where we teach young children how to um, read a map and compass and orient on the space. Or I want to treat, do, do a battle camp where we split these um, young people in half and get them to simulate a, a, a war game against each other. These are all things I was allowed to do at 16, 17 years old. Um, and just being trusted to do that stuff. Um, and being responsible for when it went wrong was incredibly valuable because yes these people let you do it but they'd also rip you apart if you did something which was unsafe or went Mm. wrong and you think at 16 that's a lot of responsibility you know taking your other young people out to do these things and you know potentially there's a risk of damage or injury etc but at 16 in many other in uh, countries in many other civilizations you're a full-grown adult and you should be trusted to make these types of decisions so I won't go into that. Maybe that's a conversation for another day. But if you are a parent and you are thinking about how you can get your child involved in leadership skills, I don't know what the Army Cadet Force is like now, but growing up, I think it was one of the sole things which gave me the confidence, gave me the leadership and communication skills that you are engaging with now. So I would recommend it. Um, there are other things that can have a similar impact, such as martial arts, dance, etc. But for me, it was the army cadets. And as I said, as, as a 16-year-old, I was doing this while at college. And there'd be many weekends where I'd be spent in a field in uh, Dorset, um, running kids for an assault course and then Monday morning I'm doing math class now I came from a school which was full of underperformers and I was an overperformer I did very well in my GCSEs and then you step into the A-level space and it's completely different Um, one of the key challenges for me was that I was overburdened with tasks. As I mentioned, the Army Cadet Force, I was um, a senior uh, a, a senior instructor by the age of 17. Literally, most of my Monday and Thursday nights were me running courses with young people. My Friday nights were me doing youth work. My um, weekends, as you know, uh, I was either working uh, a part-time job 
for about 16 hours over the weekend or I was away on a camp um, doing army cadet instructing and on top of that doing my A-levels. Um, and even though I had a lot on my plate, I still found a lot of time to play table football and snooker um, as opposed yeah. to other things. So no surprises for me, A-levels was a big shock where I realised that I couldn't just get by on my intellect, that I needed to buckle down and work. And actually when it came to the end of my A-levels, I didn't get the grades that I needed to get into the university that I wanted, which meant I had to do another year in order to get my grades up. And that was a valuable lesson. I thank God that I learned that lesson at 17, 18, and I'm not learning that lesson in my mid-20s, that you have to get your head down and grind if you're going to be successful. Because some people skate on their ability, on their natural aptitude, ability. their natural ability, up into their late 20s, and then realise that they reach a roadblock. I realised that mm. at about the age of 19. And I think that was such a valuable lesson because... I realized that, yeah, no, you can't just coast through life. You can't sleep, through, walk through life and think you're going to get what you want. You have to be intentional. You have to be focused and you have to definitely be hardworking. So college for me was tough, but it was an eye opener. Um, and as a result of that very early loss, I think it changed my perspective of how I was going to get what I wanted. Um, and one other element of college, which you know about, because that's where we met, was we went to college off ends. Mm. We went to college in one of the most affluent areas in the country. Now, the college, that doesn't mean the college was fantastic. <laughs> but as we walked to college, we saw some of the most expensive properties in the country. I'm yeah. talking about Maida Vale in West London. Yeah. And we saw some of the most expensive cars in the country and I think the value of that was just understanding that it was possible now one of the other interesting things which kind of struck me and it was kind of a, a light bulb moment later on is when you saw the people who walked out of these houses and into those cars they didn't look like rappers or um, footballers or celebrities you could easily find yourself standing next to these people at the bus stop or easily find yourself yeah. you know, sitting next to some of these people in a restaurant. They look very unassuming. And I think as a result, it kind of made me realise that you don't have to be immensely popular celebrity or successful to have a comfortable life. You just need yeah. to find your lane and excel in it in order to have a different life to the one that you have. So much has been said there, and I, I want your assistance to really yeah. Sorry, pull out that was a, few... a serious monologue. <laughs> no, 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 no. We, 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 you couldn't be interrupted. It was very important that you were allowed to flow there. I, I want to create sound bites out of it with your assistance. Let's do it. So, almost going back to back, one of the first ones from what you mentioned. Again, this is with my almost parental hat on, but also my understanding that environment is everything environment is everything and mumsy was wise enough to know that this 16 year old in brixton angel town 
needs to be distracted. A lot. The idle mind is dangerous. And thus, find yourself doing something which is productive. Environment is everything. The, another one which you mentioned was about the importance of failure and natural ability. And I think many people listening to this right now will know that at some point in their life, probably very early on, it may have been when they were sat on a, on a mat reading a book when they were like five years old, they self-assessed their natural ability and they knew what they could do and what they couldn't do, which is fine. But for many of us, we know our ceiling and we never attempt to exceed it. Mm. So we skate just below it for as long as possible, remaining comfortable. But if that ceiling is never interrogated or disrupted, the moment in which it is by an external force, again, like you said, possibly in your mid-twenties, it shatters the person. It literally metaphorically falls down on that person and they're wounded by it mm. because they don't know how to get up because they didn't break it themselves. Someone else broke it for them. That's powerful. Other important sound bites. I, I think it's, it's something which I... I experienced too, it was a little bit later, but as a parent, again, with a parent's hat on, I, I need to ensure that my children feel it as early as possible. Allow them to fail. Yes. <laughs> Let them fail. Don't become a helicopter parent. Now, apologies for those people who say, why is he constantly talking about parenting? I've just hit that revelation that once you become a parent, you are suddenly responsible for the development of someone else, which makes you even more sensitive to your own development, mm. or it should do. And thus, the strategies overlap. Yep. Environment is important for a child. Environment is important for an adult. Um, what is fed to a child is important, as it is to an adult, um, in terms of your, your mind, your reading, the people that you're in, interacting with. It all matters. Um, thirdly, environment once again and knowing that your view on success might not be the world's view on success because i agree with you there was a time when i viewed success to look a specific way it probably would have looked like a scene out of one of jay-z's hip-hop videos yep and then we went to maidavelle and we, we, we would walk slowly past these houses because you just wanted to creep, get, get a snapshot of what's inside because you saw the cars. You knew that these people were extremely comfortable. But like you said, they were so unassuming. Mm. And they were there either through inheritance or through max, mass, mass execution. They've excelled so much that they could be in that environment and not have to comply to society's expectations. Mm -hmm. And that highlights that people are comfortable where they are. And mm. one of the most important lessons that I haven't, I didn't learn in my teenage years, but I definitely learned in my 20s, was about contentment. Now, not everybody has it. There's a lot of people listening to this who are listening to this because they're trying to get the jewel, the gem, that's going to help them be a millionaire or a billionaire. Now, that's no longer my goal. If it happens, fantastic. I'll be working hard to see how much money I can give away. But... In terms of contentment, my question, my challenge now is how do I become satisfied with what I have and what I can, what, what, what I can gain? And that might seem like a bit of a contradiction for many people because we're constantly talking about personal development and growth and success. But I'm, 
when, when I talk about contentment, I'm, I'm talking about not being resentful about what you currently have, but being encouraged mm. to get more. And I think the problem is, is that when you're resentful of what you currently have, you're less likely to do the work necessary to upgrade because you're looking for shortcuts. Yep. When you're content with what you have and you're willing to learn, you're willing to take time, etc., you're actually more likely to achieve what you're looking for. Because we probably all know one of our friends who was always looking at that get rich quick scheme. He was mm. always looking for how he could become a millionaire overnight. You know, the 2020 is going to be my year type of person. Yeah. Now, if you're not content with where you are, then you're always going to be in a rush. You're always going to be in a rush to upgrade and you're never going to be present. So the key lesson for me that I learned in my 20s, and there are a few, there are a few milestones that really cemented that for me. But there, the, the, the key lesson there is just contentment, understanding and being grateful for what you currently have. Now, this only really comes into fruition when you escape poverty. Because there's no way that you could tell poor Abby, hand-me-down Abby, one pound on your card being rejected Abby, to be content with where he is. Because he didn't know whether he was going to be homeless or not. But as soon as you actually escape poverty, unfortunately for me, I, I did that with my first graduate job. The question then became contentment. You went to university. I did. I want us to get to contentment, but I want us to actually go back to the point when you were striving to actually really interrogate that. Because you got to university, you, you've seen the milestones of high, high success in secondary, failure, and a greater work ethic at college. You've now got to university you're slightly closer to what would have seemed like, like the finish line. Remember, we're not thinking about living beyond 30. So once you get to uni, you're half of your life. Um, what did that look like in terms of striving at university? Because now you're outside of London and you're forced to live with other people and hear their experiences. You've heard that before through your leadership experience with cadets, but now it's in an academic setting. What happened there? University was really intriguing for me because I think one, it was one of the first times that I truly understood how different I was from many of the people in my own age bracket. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, even if you go to college in West London, you're still surrounded by many people similar to you. But when you go to university, and I went to the University of Sussex, you're surrounded by people with all walks of life. And particularly for me, when I, in my first year, I was in halls, I was in a, 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 halls, a, a, a halls of residence, which um, housed 12 people. Nine of them were women. Three of, three of us were male. 11 were Caucasian. And I was the sole uh, black person. And even within those uh, you know, Caucasian people that I mentioned, all very different 
backgrounds, upbringings, walks of life, etc. And I just didn't really gel with them. Um, I mention this a lot of times. I come from a house, a Nigerian house, where you're taught to cook at a very young age. So even just seeing kind of the ready meals go straight into the oven or the overcooked pasta mixed with peas and ketchup for lunch um, <laughs> was was a bit of a shock to me. But it shouldn't have been too surprising because we were still children, effectively. Yeah. Um, but one of the things it did make me realize is that I had a very different objective from many of these people. My objective was to get in and get out. I'd already taken my loss in college. So mm. I was an underdog because I was a year behind because I had, I, had, I had that knock on the head of, oh yeah, you can't just get through this on aptitude alone. And I was, was, was very focused. I wasn't about the let's go raving. I wasn't about the, you know, let's sleep in when we've got lectures, et cetera, et cetera. I went to my lectures, I came home, I studied, and I rinsed and repeated. And I studied mechanical engineering, and people who study mechanical engineering, it's not like humanities courses where you have about eight hours of contact time a, a, a week. My yeah. engineering lectures would take up about 35 hours a week. So it was like having a job. And once again, I'm very grateful for it because it prepared me for the future. Um, and when I say 35 hours of contact time, that doesn't include all the independent study or the personal reading that also had to be done. All of the compensation for the terrible lecturers whose courses were almost illegible. There was one particular lecturer who I won't mention by name, who I barely understood a word he said for a whole term, um, which meant that I just literally sat in his lectures and read the course material myself while the people sat next to me were nudging me because their heads kept landing on my shoulder because they were falling asleep um and that was another so that was another filtration process because by the end of first year university so many people failed engineering i would i'd love to see what the dropout rate of engineering is because i'd say that by the end of university we probably were half the number that we started with uh, and people people deferred to other courses um, there was one person who did so who managed to get through to the end of his engineering degree but did so badly that he wasn't allowed to put engineering on his degree certificate yeah he just had to put degree and I think that was another lesson for me in understanding that as you go through life there are going to be many people with completely different ambitions to you and in a course like engineering where there is so much collaborative work which you need to get involved in you need to somehow be able to communicate effective, effectively with these people in order to get the best out of them and not be angry at them for having a different level of aptitude or a different level of ambition to you because you're going to need whatever they can bring to the table in order for you to get yourself over the line. Do you feel that your experiences in Angeltown, um, in an, an environment where at any point you could be a victim, and your experiences as a leader in army cadets where you had to serve others and help them to develop, 
helped you to manage those kind of personalities? Oh, absolutely. I'd say the biggest thing that I learned from living in Angel Town is there's never going to be a middle-aged white man who scares me. It's just not possible. And <laughs> what, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but I, I, that level of confidence comes through various different spaces. Like within, you know, I'm skipping ahead, but within my first year in my graduate job, I was sat in a meeting with the CEO because he really wanted to find out, he wanted to dig into my brain. And a lot of people were asking me like, weren't you scared? Weren't you nervous, et cetera, et cetera. Not in the slightest. I can't yeah. find myself nervous around a middle-aged white man who doesn't have a knife. Yeah. Um, so you're absolutely right. And, and that comes about in many places. Now, the, one of the big lessons for me in college and university is to rein it back because when you're living in angel town when you're doing army cadets etc there's a certain level of intensity that you have in your communication style which people are not going to receive well if they're a civilian and i mean that both from a you know if you're a civilian because you're not involved in gang life or if you're a civilian because you're not linked to the army People don't respond well to that level of intensity in your communication. So this was my opportunity to exercise mm -hmm. different forms of, of communication style in order to understand how to get the most out of people. Um, how did you... Sorry, what, I, no, I was continue. just going to say, sorry. one of the common misconceptions about army training and army leadership is that you just shout at people and you get them to do what you want. Not true. Corporal punishment has been outlawed for a long time. You're not allowed to beat people up or scream in their faces, etc. So even within the context of the army cadets, you have to learn actually what motivates people and how to um, uh, how to get get the most out of them. So, for instance, I remember being about 13 years old as a as a junior uh, cadet, and one of the older boys who was 15 was such a good leader. He was a better leader than my teachers because he understood the power of well done. Mm. Like when he went around to people telling them, you need to do this, you need to do that. And when people did a good job, he'd always say, well done, that was a good job. Well done, I'm proud of you. At, at 15 years old. And I'd never seen that from teachers. I'd never seen that from any adults. Yeah. Yeah. And just little things like that really had an impact on me because I understood the importance and the value of just little words of encouragement, like, well done, that's a really good job. Not fake, not saying it for no reason, but actually being present and seeing what people are doing and encouraging people to do more. And I definitely implanted that kind of understanding of how people tick into most of my communication today. It's fascinating because a lot of people don't understand the, how communication and leadership marries and how leadership needs to be explicitly reflected upon and, and honed and learned. Um, years ago, I read an article which documented a, a specific percentage of Fortune 500 CEOs who had, in America, attended scouts when they were younger. And they all accredited the discipline, um, the routine, the habits, and the leadership skills that they developed at an early age to their success. And it was then later on when I started to understand your experiences with cadets that this was something which I knew I had to investigate for my own children because it's explicit leadership tra training for the young. Yes. My follow-up question is, how did you hold on to your vision 
during that environment at university where you are around a lot of people from different environments who may not have wanted it or needed it as much as you did. Was it, one, you lent back on the explicit training you had received. So discipline is training. That from home, that from Angel Town Street Life, that from cadets, that from Senior Maths Challenge. Or was it something which you were looking towards in the future that pulled you? For me, I think it was two things. Now, some people go to university, they leave home, they leave their parents, etc. And then they're not seen again for four years. That wasn't my story. I was back in Angel Town every weekend. Mm. Every single weekend I was back in Angel Town because I had a job in London. So I was sleeping on my mother's sofa um, so that I could um, go to work. And that reminded me very comfortably, very starkly of where I was coming from and why it was so important to take this work seriously. Because when I went back home, I was sleeping on my mum's sofa. Um, And yeah, we were living in, at one point, a very dilapidated estate in Brixton where on the sofa... Um, while I was trying to sleep, all I could hear is scratches on the floor. And those scratches were my little rodent friends who wanted to see if they can pick up any crumbs in the house. Um, So it's very easy to have a vision where you're lying on a sofa, staring at the ceiling because you can't sleep because the rats keep making too much noise. And know that the only way out is academia. Yeah. Um, and you know what was funny? One, 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 one little side note is that, is that the rats started to listen to me. So I remember one time where I, sleep, I was trying to sleep on the sofa and they were just scratching and squeaking. I was like, guys, stop. And they did. I was like, wow. This has to go in a book one day. <laughs> oh, wow. Do you know, at, at some point, we're going we're gonna to come back to this because the key question I have is, There are many people who have that experience, but do not make the same decision as you. Now, this is the second part of that. And the second part is very simple. You mentioned it already, environment. Now, yes, while I was in first year, my my halls of residence were um, people who were very different from me, who maybe had different ambitions of what they wanted to get out of university. But the people who I chose to be around, both in my course and people who... Um, I I spent time with uh, were completely different. Now across I I I, um, I stayed at a halls called Park Village, and across the street from me, in where I was staying on campus, there was another building of twelve, and in that building um, is where I met one of my best friends, um, to the point that on my phone he's still stored as Mike. Park Village. Now I've known this guy for over 10 years now, but that's where I met him. And his story was somewhat different from mine, but his ambition was the same. And he he definitely helped anchor me. As well as that, on my course, I met some incredible people. People are going to be best friends for life. Um, Big Mike, Debo, Mm. Ife. These are people who I... Who, who, who actually had very similar upbringings to me, but also very similar ambitions. And they helped keep me grounded. And 
it's very easy to feel like an alien when there aren't many people who've got the same level of ambition as you. But when you're mm. going into the um when when you're going into the computer lab at nine o'clock at night working on a piece of coursework and you see Debo there, Big Mike there, Ife there doing the same thing, you're like, okay, I'm in the right place. This is not a weird thing to be doing. Um, and I think that was one of the key lessons that I learned, which is do not be afraid to be different because 90% of my course were out raving on a Thursday or Friday night. <laughs> but when I went into that lab and I saw that there were people that had clearly been there for hours because they had their snacks depleted, um, yeah. they had their slippers and their dressing gowns on, um, I realized, okay, there may be a minority of us, but it's okay to be different. And most of the people in my university, most of the people on my course are sleepwalking and they're going to get an abrupt surprise at the end of their degree. Now, interestingly enough, I, I went to Sussex, which is a really good university, especially for engineering. But any university you go to, you're going to get people who got in for their sheer ability or yes. natural ability and didn't understand the work ethic. And I remember on graduation day, um, the guy, there were two guys that were sat behind me. Now, when you graduate, you, or for us anyway, you don't just graduate um, as an engineering class. You graduate with a whole bunch of other people. So I have no idea what these guys studied. Um, they're likely to have studied one of the sciences, potentially, because I think all of the sciences kind of graduated together. But I'll never forget what one of them said to the other, which is, bro, I can't wait. Tomorrow we get to sign on. <laughs> And that mentality was a shock to my sister. Wow. <laughs> um, and I just was, okay. And, and that for me was like, yes, it's okay to be different. It's, you know, I'm glad that I put in the work so that I wasn't nodding along with that discussion. Yeah, that is, that's mind-boggling. <laughs> um, I just, just... You successfully leave university and you leave university having built your own village, a community of people who share similar goals and visions, who understand the necessity for diligence and a hard work ethic. You enter the corporate world. And the last two areas I really want to talk on about your, your corporate experiences and then your current relationship right now, having been married. What was that like entering the corporate world? Because you've, you've had a few roles now and I want you to really reflect upon the lessons that you've learned in each role and how they have informed almost chapters of the future book. Mm, good question. So entering the corporate world was a bit of a surprise because I realised that I was in sixth gear and most of the people around me were in third or fourth. And it wasn't because they weren't capable is because they didn't need to be. Mm. Now, I was in sixth gear because I felt like I had something to prove. And I've, I realized that <laughs> sometimes working too hard can make you a little bit of an outcast. 
especially in a working environment where people people's positions positions are being threatened in that yes. we are getting paid the same but you are producing far more output than i am therefore can can i really support what you're doing because it's going to impact me yeah and i i noticed that i and i realized that there was a level of humility and flexibility which i needed to de de deploy um because i didn't go to work drinks i didn't go to all of the socials because i just didn't i, I knew i came to to work so i just didn't see the value of why is my mm. why is my corporate organization doing you know team bowling or you know after work drinks but i realized that this is part of the game that in many instances the old cliche of it's not what you know it's who you know is true yes and one of the most kind of valuable steps that i took was joining the graduate committee and eventually becoming the chair of the graduate committee by sheer accident i did it wasn't my intention i just wanted to join so that i could say i was actively involved in the non vocational aspect of my job and was more involved in some of the social stuff and then within a couple of weeks i was made the chair and that actually opened a whole lot of doors for me because most people will be aware that i i am i am a professional in strategy and marketing but i did a degree in mechanical engineering how did that happen um and one of the reasons it happened was because as part of my role as a chair of the graduate committee i was interacting with people at a very senior level very early on and having high level strategic conversations about how to get the best out of the grad committee and i delivered presentations about how to improve the you know, graduate population's experiences about how to increase retention reduce attrition those types of things and in delivering many of those presentations some of which were to the ceo um it made me visible one of the things that i did which is still one of my most um kind of cherished achievements is i produced a presentation asking my one one of the uh, senior directors of the company asking them for 10,000 pounds so that i could do a mentoring program uh for young women in engineering and they gave me 10,000 pounds um and for somebody who grew up in brixton um where there was only really you thought you stole <laughs> exactly where where all you need to do is use your words and people are going to give you money it was very strange for me i stood up and i said these are the merits of this program and this is how i'm going to get more women young women engaged in engineering please give me 10,000 pounds it was okay it was a bit more complicated than that but they just gave me some money and let me run my mentoring program um but being able to do things like that actually actually allowed me to understand that it wasn't just about working hard it was also about working smart and that with the right connections with the right conversations 
you can affect change on a much grander level than just burning yourself mm. out. It's knowing your stakeholders. Mm, absolutely. Um, vertically and horizontally. And understanding which conversations need to be had where. It's also acknowledging that success on the current level will be at the consequence of success on the previous level. And what I mean by that is, I think many of us are trying to master a future job, but we haven't mastered our current job. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mastering what you're doing is so valuable because that is your CV. It doesn't matter what your next step is. If people don't see what you are, how you are making the most of what you're doing now, they're not going to trust you with more responsibility. Yeah. And, and the other important point to, 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 to capture there is just the idea that the, the main difference between where you are now and where you want to be is the person that you haven't spoken to yet. Yeah. I, I wholeheartedly believe that the difference between where you are now and where you want to be is the person that you haven't spoken to yet. And it may be somebody that you speak to on a regular basis, but you just haven't had that conversation. Yes. And having that conversation could transform your life. We could delve into the career in much greater detail, especially in the instances where you had to pivot. So we've got to make a mental note to actually come back to this, because I think career changes and pivoting in general is definitely a future episode because I distinctly remember, I remember where I was. You know when people say, I remember when I was, when Diana died or when it was 9-11. I remember where I was when you called me once about a particular job opportunity and you were moving from government to, <laughs> no, no, the position was to go to government. Yeah. Um, I was working and, in mechanical engineering at a time and, yeah. um, one of the, or it was actually, it was actually a comment from the CEO. There was a position that was uh, became available, and I just delivered a presentation to the CEO and the head of talent. And then I get a phone call from, I, I leave the room, and they continue having a conversation after I've left. And then I get a phone call a couple of days later saying, "We've got a job of opening in government relations. Are you interested?" And I was like, "Nope, <laughs> no thanks. See ya. Thanks for the offer. Bye." And then it was a bit later, I was like, okay, did I just cut that short too quickly? And I call you yeah. and say, yeah, this is the opportunity, almost in a joking way and say, can you believe what these guys said? Can you believe that they were trying to offer me government relations? I did a degree in mechanical engineering. And you took it incredibly seriously. You were like, whoa, 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 let's talk. Tell me more. And yeah, I, I have to give you credit for that 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 pivot, that change, because you saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And that has changed the entire trajectory of my life. Um, and that's so valuable. So I, once again, I'll reiterate that point, which is the difference between who you are and where you want to be is the person you haven't spoken to yet. Um, yeah. Because that was an incredibly rewarding role and a role, a role that has led me into other work, other activities uh, that I'm, I'm still gaining value from now. So 
yes, it's it's absolutely amazing. And you know, bro, if you know, I've said it a million times. I'll say it a million times more. I appreciate you, man. No, no, no. It's, that's, don't worry about that. <laughs> I want to go back to the important things. There, there are certain themes which are coming up right now, which are people seeing things in you. Now, that's also being said to the listener right now. There'll be people who have seen things in you and you may have ignored it. And I think it's highly important to actually go back to reflect upon what they saw. Because one of our biggest issues is that we have tunnel vision mm. and we, we, we pray and then we supervise the prayer <laughs> because we know exactly how we want that prayer to be executed. Yeah. When not realizing that, the, the journey itself might require pit stops and tangents, which are far beyond what we would ever imagine, mm. but they're crucial to what's next. So for the, for the listener right now, there are people who have suggested certain things who in um, senior positions, people have suggested certain things who know you and love you. Go back to, to that suggestion. Because it will feel uncomfortable because it's taking you beyond or away from what you originally planned. But that the skills which could be developed on that journey will be crucial. I did nothing different to what that math teacher did, who was able to control your class. Or the music teacher did, who was actually giving you access to the facilities. Most likely she probably shouldn't have done that. But it's almost opening the curtains to allow more light in mm. to see what else could be but the final okay go for it i was just gonna say and i think that's just a word of encouragement which is really i just really want people to be aware of the the individuals that they spend time with are the people around you telling you that you can do amazing things and they believe in you and are not not just saying it but actually actively helping you to pursue and achieve those fantastic things that they say that you're able to do or are they trying to slow you down are they trying to subtly disarm you or dishearten you like really pay attention to the language that's being used by people around you because by now mm. most people listening to this have realized that not all of your friends are happy for you when you succeed and sometimes mm. it comes to you as a surprise you think to yourself i really thought this person was going to be happy for me when i became successful but they give you clues they give you clues in your in their speech and in their language that mm this isn't this 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 isn't something that I want for you because I'm not happy for you. And those people, to the best of your ability, need to be avoided, cut out, removed from, yeah. from the conversation because they are, for want of a better phrase, cancerous. So I just wanted to put that in there. Please, if you have those people in your life, they're no good for you. And the sooner you get them out of your life, the sooner you can start just achieving more because you just don't have that anchor pulling you down. Yep. Um, and in reverse, you're no good for them. True. Potentially you leaving them is what will help them to realize they need to do something Absolutely. because they might be <laughs> vicariously living through you, yep. <laughs> but warning you of all the things that they hashtag you can't do Yeah. because they don't believe they can do it. And they don't want you to. The, they don't want you to do it because of how it makes them feel. 
The recurring theme has been relationships. And I, I want to I close with this new relationship because you've started... Um, no, it's not, I haven't started because the, the, the wedding isn't a crescendo. This relationship's been going on for a long time. But you are married now and you're on this journey for the rest of your life. What lessons would you say you have learned in that courting stage, as people would say, um, in the stage where um, you met her, you spent time with her, she, she taught you things about yourself, you taught her things about herself, you made the decision that actually this is someone I would like to spend the rest of my life with. How has that helped to form the person that you are right now? I think one of the most important aspects that it has taught me is in terms of my my the, my personal outlook on life now is the importance of tempering your expectations now that doesn't necessarily sound very romantic but the reason why I say that is because we are constantly being deceived by media, by other people's relationships, by Instagram, mm. as to what a relationship should be like. So when we actually are in a room or in a relationship with a real human, with all of their own idiosyncrasies, you know, we get almost this does not compute mentality of this isn't how it should be. Yep. And not being able to adapt and adjust to what real life is and what a real person comes with is one of the main reasons why I believe relationships fall apart. So when I say tempering your expectations, for me, it doesn't mean not having any expectations. It just means being realistic about what you want in a relationship. I, you know, I want somebody who doesn't come with any baggage. Good luck, we're all damaged. Good luck. You're damaged. You know, I don't want to be in a relationship with somebody who is sick. Selfish. Selfish. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's a great one. You know, selfish. Well, good luck with that. Because especially in this day yeah. and age, we are, we are trained to be selfish. Everything yeah. is about me. Me, 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 me. So you have to unlearn that yourself, the likelihood is, because you're probably selfish. You know, I don't want to be mm -hmm. in a relationship with someone who's sick. Well, if they're not sick now, I guarantee you they're going to be sick in the future. There's one thing that's almost guaranteed in your lifetime is that you are going to experience personally one major illness in your life. I'm not praying mm. it on you. I hope it doesn't happen, but it's statistics. So if you're not dealing with someone who's ill now, they might be ill in the future. So these, and that's, that's why when you give your marriage vows, it says in sickness and in health. Um, so I think for me, it was the importance of tempering my expectations, being patient and being understanding that a human being comes with a lot of complexity um, and a lot of damage. And so do you. I think the other really important lesson that I learned is that love is a choice, not a feeling. Now, this is, a, this is something yep. which I wish if somebody said, What's, what do you want to put on a billboard that everyone can see? It's this one. Love is a choice, not a feeling. We are being taught mm -hmm. that love is a feeling. I, didn't, I just didn't feel the spark. I just didn't feel that chemistry. What you're feeling when we talk about that is lust, not love. Lust is a feeling. 
But love is a choice. You choose to love the person that you're with every single day. Because there are going to be times where you don't like them. Yep. And one of the things that makes me quite sad is when some of my friends and some of her friends kind of talk to us and say, you guys are relationship goals. You know, you guys are exactly what I want to be with my partner, etc., etc. And I'm like, you haven't seen what goes on behind closed doors. <laughs> like, I love my wife. I really do. But it's been hard work to get to this point. And I will never be shy of the hard work. I'm proud of the hard work. The same way it's been hard work for me to get to where I am in my career. I've had to put pain and sweat and tears into what we've what I've achieved, what me and you have achieved. Um, people will maybe remember from a few episodes back the pain that we went through, you know, uh, last year, you know, building the yep. salon. It's been pain yep. and I will never be shy of that pain. It was also been pain in my relationship to get it to where it is. It's been hard work, very hard work. And... The, the main reason why I say that is because I don't want people, I, I want to counteract the narrative that you see on social media, which is everything just comes with ease and every selfie is just a beautiful picture of us smiling at each other. I guarantee you some of those pictures of people doing selfies before and after the picture, these people are just giving each other evil eyes, daggering, dagger, daggers at each other. Yep. Um, so I really want to encourage people that, you know, relationships are hard work and that's not a bad thing, but the same way that you have to raise a child and you have to put effort into raising a child, you have to put effort into raising a marriage or a relationship. So I think those, those two lessons really stand out to me. Um, and I think the final lesson that I will mention briefly before you maybe have any responses is simply just make sure you have a relationship with someone who's your friend. Because I've talked, I started off by talking about things which aren't particularly romantic, you know, temper your expectations. Love is a choice. You choose to love someone rather than you feel it. But the last one is completely romantic in my book, which is I know that I'm married to my best friend. And she has to be my best friend. If she's not, then... What am I doing spending more time with her than anybody else ever? Now, I have different relationships with other people. You know, me saying that out loud might be very hurtful to you, bro. Um, and I'm sorry. Um, oh, no, not at all. you got to do it. Listen, <laughs> I will take one for the team. Listen, um, Mrs. Onike, that is your role. It's, it's the role. And, you know, all of the things that that entails... Like, how much fun do we have together? Can we literally sit... Like, there was one thing that um, surprised me on my honeymoon, which is other... You know, people have pictures of how they want their honeymoon to be, etc., etc. I was so happy <laughs> that me and my wife could get back to the hotel at 8pm, sit up and watch movies until we fell asleep. Brilliant. Brilliant. Now, for some people, they're like, that's what you did on your honeymoon. That sounds awful. Well, that's why I'm, I'm not marrying you. Like, <laughs> I'm marrying somebody who completely understands that that's what we want to do. We both work hard and we both know that sometimes we just need some downtime to chill and watch terrible films. And the fact that I didn't yeah. feel guilty falling asleep watching television on my honeymoon with my wife because of how the last couple of months have been challenging for us is fantastic. 
Absolutely. I'm envious, bro. Oh, it was it was great, bro. It was fantastic. But yeah, I mean, you know, there's so much more that I could delve into when it comes to a relationship. But I'd say those are the key lessons that I've learned. Um, and yeah, you know, our relationship is developing, is growing. In the space of time that I've been back from honeymoon, I've also, I've already learned so much more about my wife than, than before because we weren't living together. Um, so yeah, I've, it's just a journey really. And one piece of advice that my brother gave me was that every single year, is like a university course and the next year has had or have nothing um, to do with the previous year. So every year is yeah. like a, a clean slate, new set of challenges that you can either accept with open arms or run away from. It's a beauty of marriage and I think he's very wise to say that because there are many things which I was told which... I acknowledged, but didn't completely understand until I lived them. And it is exactly right what you said. What you've learned in the last week, you're going to continue to learn new things every single day. And as you once said to me, you're going to have to almost learn to fall in love with that person again, because you're going to truly understand who they are and they're going to continue to evolve. Absolutely. Bro, this has been interesting. It's been it very, very cathartic. I've appreciated just listening again because you are someone who a great deal of people I know and a number of people I don't lean upon. And they lean upon you for many of the lessons which you have shared. And they themselves can then actually reflect upon those lessons and see how we can all pursue service being able to effectively serve the people around us being able to be competent and highly effective in who we are as individuals as men and women as employees as entrepreneurs as creatives i, I really hope that someone has found this beneficial um personally expensive lessons has become very a very selfish vehicle for me it's, it's enabled me to really learn a great deal about people I admire and reflect upon what matters most in life, which I truly believe one of those things is personal growth. Us just developing. We, we don't leave childhood and remain in a constant state. We're just continually developing and hopefully intentionally doing so. Absolutely. Um, Abby? I will give you the final word, but for me, everyone, thank you ever so much for bearing with us and look out for some of the upcoming guests that we have. There are some incredible testimonies on the way of what can be done, um, how people are able to create something from nothing and to see through a vision. Um, how do I want to end this? I think I want to end this by saying, first of all, that this has been an incredible just personal exploration for me. And I think we need to do this for you, Afalabi, as well. So watch out for that episode because we're going to be digging into Afalabi's history. Interestingly enough, there are a lot of parallels with our story. Well, uh, mm. no, no major surprises because that's how we met. One of the elements that I didn't touch upon very early on in my experience was the fact that I was adopted 
effectively I was brought up um, by a relative of my biological mother um, who is to this day still living in Nigeria and that's something which Afalabi relates to in a very mm. eerily similar way um, so I'm very interested to, to hear your story from rags to riches quote unquote um, I think the other thing that I want to mention at the end of this episode is a theme that has gone through the entire story. Um, my mum will always um, talk about the fact that when when she lived in Brixton after everybody had moved out, all of my brothers, my my four older brothers had moved out, she, she always received compliments from people saying, you've, you've had to raise five boys in Angeltown and none of them are dead or in jail. How did you do it? And her response was always the same. It wasn't me, it was God. And I can't talk about the journey that I've been on and the, 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 the current outcome without talking about my relationship with God. And it's been a roller coaster, really. It's been up and down, but he has been one of the key constants in my life, the only true constant in my life through the good times and the bad times and leaning on him in times of difficulty have definitely helped me. So I appreciate that not everybody listening will have a similar relationship um, or even be religious at all. But I'd say that I, I couldn't talk about an episode like this without talking about how my relationship with God has 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 been a constant that's helped me through a lot of the challenging times and really pushed me and made me more um, able during the the good times. But but finally, I I do want to to say to you a word of encouragement. Your story may be completely different from mine. You may have had a completely different upbringing. You might be listening to some of the challenges that I discussed and think, well, I haven't had that. You know, do I have the same kind of resilience or tenacity? Um, everybody's lives are different and I don't wish my upbringing on anybody. I just pray for you that whatever your challenges are, that you have the strength and the environment to help you overcome it so that you can, you know, you can reach your, your potential. And if we can help with that in any way, shape or form, please don't be a stranger and reach out to us. Contact us, Expensive Lessons, um, on Instagram. As I said before my honeymoon, I was going to set up an email address. I think I'll do that at some point this week. But yeah, get in touch. Most Many of you may, may know us through a friend of a friend. Please, we, we, we're here to serve. We're here to help. And if we can do anything to support, then it would be our pleasure. Thank you so much for your time listening today. We look forward to you joining us for future episodes. Sorry for the delay. And uh, yeah, we'll hear from us soon. Take care. Take care, everyone. Thank you.